Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, October 21st, 2012. Today's message is Anyone Who Doesn't Breathe Is Dead by Pastor Isaac Whiting based on James chapter 2 verses 14 through 25 on the CE version of the Bible. morning. Let's pray together. God, we come to you humbly today. In our best times, we realize that we are not good enough and we cannot see even what's real. We have so many blind spots, Lord. You know what we should be doing. And you know that A lot of the time we don't even know what that is. And even when we do, we often don't do it. God, we're here today and we want, we want, at least with our minds, to understand your word and to see what's real. And I pray that you would wake us up. I pray that you would open all of our eyes. And I pray that you would help James to speak again by your spirit. Amen. I want to address first this morning the issue of my clothing. Just in case it's distracting or, or uh, causes issues for any of you, I want you to know that I'm not wearing these clothes just because we had the Ride for Refuge announcement this morning or because I was too lazy to put on a collared shirt or something like that. I'm wearing these clothes because the Ride for Refuge t-shirt or long sleeve t-shirt that I'm wearing modeling for you today, is an excellent symbol of what we're talking about in James chapter 2. It's an excellent symbol of that. It's an excellent symbol of the gospel itself. All right? So first, I don't know if you can see what's actually on my shirt. Maybe there's someone near you who has a shirt. Um, On my right side, your left, there is a heart. The heart represents our love. It represents our faith, our hope. It represents our inward life with God. On your right, there is a water droplet. This is sweat. Sweat represents what? Our work. It represents what we do. It represents doing hard things because of our love. And then the plus symbol, I don't know if you can see, the plus symbol down here on, on uh, the left again, this just means and, okay, that's easy enough. And then there's a gear, so it's, it's a bicycle gear. So the theme phrase for the Ride for Refuge is love, sweat, and gears. Get it? Ha, 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 love, sweat, and gears. Okay, but it's a great image because gears, if we push the metaphor a little bit further, Gears can represent sort of daily life, all right? Gears are dirty. They, uh, they're, they're not like this sanctuary. They're more like your engine in your car, right? The things that we use every day, the things that we do every day. So what this shirt says as I stand up here 
is that your love, your inward life with God, becomes your work, your sweat, your hard things for the Lord in your everyday life in the world. I think it's a great image for James chapter 2 and for the whole gospel, really. You notice this morning that we read out of a different version than we usually do. We read out of a version called the CEV, the Contemporary English Version. And this version is actually not that new. It's about 20 years old, almost 20 years old now. And I've known about it before. How many of you have read from the CEV before? Familiar with that version at all? Okay. All of the youth should have raised their hands, but they didn't. Um, The CEV is great, and I'm kind of in love with it right now. And the reason I'm in love with it, especially while we're reading James, is that the CEV speaks, for the most part, the way we talk in normal life. It doesn't use words that we only find in the church. For the most part, it talks just the way you do at home, the way you would talk if you were talking to a friend. And I think that this is the kind of person James was. James was very blunt. He just says things plainly. The gospel isn't really complicated and confusing to him. Religion is simple to him. He just says what you should do, and he's confused why anyone else is confused. Why should anyone not understand? It's really simple. Also, the Bible was written in this kind of language. I don't know if you know this, but the kind of Greek that the New Testament was written in is very, very simple Greek. In fact, for a long time, scholars were confused as to whether it was really ancient Greek or not, because it was so different than Plato and Aristotle and all those kinds of higher, uh, higher learning books. It was so different. And then, as they found more and more uh, stuff, especially in the Egyptian deserts, old pieces of Greek writing, they realized in the 20th century that the Bible was written in the language that people spoke every day. It was full of contractions. It was full of words that were uh, common, maybe even semi-slang words in the Bible. And for the most part, we take all that and just translate it right out of the Bible and turn it, uh, turn it back into something that sounds uh, high and, and uh, lofty to us. But the CEV isn't like that. Now, there's one word in the CEV that I still don't like in James chapter 2, and that's the word deeds. How many of you used the word deeds in a conversation this week? Hey, let's go to the park and do some deeds. No. All right, so this is a church-only word or an older English word. Uh, So instead of using the word deeds, I'm going to use the word action today. Because that's a word we use. Faith and action. That's what James is talking about in chapter 2. So what's James' point in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26? Well, first of all, he's responding to a situation that has arisen in the church. As you know, Jesus had come along and Paul had come along, and they had preached very much a religion of the heart, the love. 
before Jesus had come, the Jewish people for a long, long time, thousands of years, had pursued religion as if it were about following rules, which it never was. But many of them had pursued religion as if it were about following rules. And Jesus' message and the message that Paul took up from him and preached all over the Roman world was that, no, it's not about following rules. It's about your heart. It's about faith. It's about who you trust. It's about what you believe. And by the time we get to the letter of James, that message had spread widely And lots of people had believed it. And we had started the church to swing into a different error. Everybody believed, okay, it's not about following the rules. And so some people had started to say, well, it's about faith. That's all that I need. That means if I just say that I believe, if I confess it in baptism, yes, Jesus is the Son of God, well, then that's all. That's the end of it. That's all that I have to do. Now I'm going to go to heaven and float around with really good-looking wings on clouds forever. It's going to be amazing. I don't have to do anything else. And James thinks that that is insane. He can't understand why anyone would have drawn that conclusion. So the point that he brings to us, the main point of James chapter 2 in these verses, is that faith... An action cannot be separated. Faith and action cannot be separated. James is not just saying that faith and action shouldn't be separated. It's a really good idea if you combine the two, you'll be a better Christian. He's saying it's not actually possible for them to be separated. And he breaks down his argument into three points. The first point he begins and basically says that if your faith is real, if your faith is real, you're going to respond to God and take action. If your faith is real, you will respond to God and take action. Sometimes we make faith and Christian life way too complicated. Notice James' example here, his example of what it's like to take action. It's simple. You see someone who's in need. You see someone who's hungry. What do you do? It's so confusing. Okay, we feed them. Yeah, that's easy. We make it so complicated. I became a Christian When I was 20 years old, I was in college, and about two years, year and a half after I became a believer, I graduated from college. And I went on this kind of spiritual pilgrimage, although in retrospect, I could call it a spiritual, I don't know, whining session, where I traveled around and I prayed. And I prayed all the time. I mean, I spent probably, I don't know, hours and hours every day praying while I was on this trip. But what I was praying about is I was praying that God would tell me what to do. Okay? And I prayed this. This was over several months. And one day I had traveled all the way to Southern California. I was in, I was in Newport Beach, California. And I went to a church I'd never been to before. 
I just looked it up on the internet, right? This is how people of my generation find churches, by the way. They just looked them up on the internet. And I went to this church I'd never been to before. I walked in. There were about 30 or 40 people there is all. And I sat in the back, and I was so sick of praying this prayer to God, what should I do, that I started crying in the back of this church. God, why don't you just tell me? If you just told me what to do, I would do it. And this older gentleman in the church gets up to the front. Have I told you this story before? He gets up to the front, and he he calls me up to the front of the church. I'm a visitor. I've never been there before. I don't know anyone. And I'm crying, all right? So I walk up to the front of the church, and gently but nicely, this older gentleman rebukes me. Okay, that means says I'm wrong in front of the whole church. And what he says is, you keep telling God that you don't know what to do, but he already told you what to do, and you're not doing it. And I walked out, and my whole life was different. (laughs) Because it was true. He had already told me what to do. And instead of doing it, I'd thrown up this huge smoke screen of, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do so that I didn't have to do anything because I was afraid to do it. The things that God tells us to do are obvious. Even though sometimes we have blind spots, they're obvious. You, most of you, know, if you really think about it, what God wants you to do. You already know. And James is saying that if you have real faith, you will respond to these obvious things and you'll take action. You're going to do something about it if your faith is real. Another illustration from the Ride for Refuge. Here's my chance to rebuke some of our youth, but I really love you. I love you. The week before the Ride for Refuge, we had pushed the Ride for Refuge, especially Adrian and I, with the youth group, for months. We'd pushed it and promoted it as much as we knew how to do. The week before the Ride for Refuge, we had raised over our, our fundraising goal. We had raised, we'd broken $2,500. We were, and now we're, you know, $3,500. We broke our goal by $1,000. We were in youth group the Wednesday before, and I said to the youth group, I said, how many of you are riding in the Ride for Refuge? And there were 20 people in the room, and one person raised her hand. One person. And then I showed the youth group how actually all that money had been raised by me, Adrian, this congregation, Aaron Froze, and that's pretty much it. A couple other people raised a little bit of money. So basically the youth group had done almost nothing as a group. And then... Right after that, the next announcement on our list was our fall retreat, which is super fun, and you should do fun things in your life. And I said, who's going on the fall retreat? And 20 hands went up in the air. We're all going on the fall retreat. The fall retreat is so much fun. Go ride our bikes to help refugees? Eh, not so much. But James says that if your faith is real, 
you will respond to the obvious things that God puts in your life and you will take action. James next moves on to answer what he knows will be the response of some people. You see, James is a real person who lived in a real church and he knew what some people were going to say to him. They were going to say, James, you don't have to do anything to have faith. You don't have to do anything to be saved. Salvation is by grace, James. You don't have to do anything. Come on. People who, have, who say they have faith, who say they believe in Jesus, even if they don't do anything, they're still Christians, right? Our youth group are Christians just because they say they believe. that They are. They don't have to do anything, do they? James's response to this, I love it. I love it. Because he doesn't say yes or no. He says, prove it. Prove it. If you say you have faith, you say you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you trust God, but you don't do anything, how are you going to prove it? James says, I'll tell you how I prove that I have faith in God. I prove it by what I do. I go and feed orphans and widows and help them in their distress. I pray all the time. I lead the church. I do the ride for refuge. He probably didn't do that. but I prove it by what I do, James said. But if you don't do anything, how would you prove that you actually have faith? How would you prove that your faith is real? And then James says, and I love this, he this is another benefit of the CEV translation, is that in verse 18, you'll say, see, James, um, or sorry, verse 20, James actually calls some of these people stupid. Right? He says, does some stupid person want proof that faith without action is useless? And he says, here's my example. I'll use Abraham as my example. Now that's interesting because who else used Abraham as his example to demonstrate that that salvation is only by faith? Who used Abraham? Paul did, didn't he? In Romans chapter 4. James is not in disagreement with Paul. He's going to use the same example. And here's his point about Abraham. Abraham was saved by faith. Abraham was saved because he believed God. But if you look at Abraham's life, what did faith mean for Abraham? When Abraham believed God, he then left his home and went to the promised land. Faith and action. When Abraham believed God, He trusted God enough to take his son Isaac up and sacrifice him on a mountain, even though it made no sense and it seemed wrong. Faith and action. Abraham proved his faith by what he did. And if you think about this, it makes perfect sense. Can you think of anywhere in the Bible someone who had faith, who believed in God, but didn't do anything? 
if you can, come talk to me because that'll be a big deal. There's no one. Think of our heroes of the faith, right? David. Why do we say that David had faith? Because he faced Goliath. His faith was proved by his action. Or the story of the ten lepers. The story was mentioned a few weeks ago here. Jesus healed ten lepers on one day and sent them away to the temple. And one of them came back to give thanks to Jesus, to give praise to God. And Jesus said, your faith has saved you. What was his faith? His faith was his action. They couldn't be separated. They were the same. So in answer to these people who say, you don't have to do anything to have real faith, James says, then you can't prove that you have any faith at all. And finally, James moves on to tell us that faith and action, in fact, exist together. This is his third point. They exist together as one thing, two sides of the same coin that can't be divided. I'm going to play a movie clip for us now. Say yes. It's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have any of you seen that movie? A couple? few? Okay. It's a little bit older movie now. Uh, but this is the scene Indiana Jones is searching for the Holy Grail. And we're going to use the Holy Grail today as an image of the gospel, of Jesus, of faith. All right? He's searching for the Holy Grail. But throughout the whole movie, he hasn't really believed that it's real. He's just searching for it because his dad uh, is searching for it and he wants to help his dad. Okay? We're going to watch this clip here and then talk some more. All right, there's no sound. But he's saying, oh, wow, that's a long way across. No one could ever possibly jump this. What am I going to do? My dad's dying. I guess I just have to have faith. It's a leap of faith. Oh, no, I have to have faith. How could I ever do this? I can't do it. You have to believe, Indy. You have to believe, Indy. Just believe. All right. I believe. I really believe. I'm going to do it. It's a leap of faith. Here I go. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. 
There's an invisible bridge. I'm saved. I'm saved because I believed. Now my dad's going to survive. That's so great. I hope I don't fall off while I'm walking across. (laughs) Still walking. Okay, I made it to the other side. Now I better throw some rocks on this thing so other people can see it. Sweet. That was almost better without sound. At least to me it was. Okay. So here's the point uh, of the clip. And here's the point that James is trying to make. His third point. That faith and action exist together. Throughout the whole movie, Indiana Jones is a skeptic. He doesn't believe that the Holy Grail is real. And when he gets to this point where it looks like he's going to fall off this cliff and die, he certainly doesn't believe at first that if he steps into the air, you know, he's going to be okay. But at some point there, you know, you didn't hear it, but the music changes, and he has faith. He believes. He believes He believes enough that he's going to step out and do something. And he steps out. And then he really believes. So you see that his faith and his action are born together. They come into existence at the same moment. What would we think if Indiana Jones had heard his dad say, believe, Indy, believe, and then... He said, I really do believe. I believe that if I took a step here, I would be able to walk right across this huge chasm. And then he said, but you know what? I just don't feel like it today. I'm going to turn around and go back. We wouldn't say that he really believed, right? His faith would just be words unless it was proved by his action. James sums this up with what right now is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. It was not read for you earlier, but listen to this. Verse 26. James says, Anyone who doesn't breathe is dead. And faith that doesn't do anything is just as dead. Would we say that a human body without breath, without life, is a person? Of course not. We call that a corpse, not a person. It's the same with faith and action. Faith without action is just as dead. The question for us today is obvious. James is not being subtle. What about your faith? Does it cause you to do anything? If it doesn't, then it's not real. If you were in my youth group a couple of weeks ago, who would you have been? 
Would you have been the one person who said, yes, I'm doing something? Or would you have been like the 19 who said, only if it's fun and only if it's about me? Do you respond to the obvious things that God puts in your life? You already know what God wants you to do. Anyone who doesn't breathe is dead. And faith that doesn't do anything is just as dead. Let's pray. God, please help us. Please have mercy on us. Please help us to see. In Jesus' name, amen.